Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to, yes, another episode of Improv Nerd, sponsored by my award-winning improv classes here in Chicago, The Art of Slow Comedy. And starting on October 25th and October 28th, I will be offering an advanced ensemble class uh, where we will focus on long form and how to be a better long form player, and there will be a performance at the end of uh, the class at Stage 773 here in Chicago, and I limit it to 10 experienced players. For more information, please go to my website, jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. We are also sponsored by the good people at Hotel Lincoln here in Chicago. So the next time you find yourself here in the city and you're looking for a cool boutique hotel that's close to everything, it's right around the corner from the second city. Uh, it's not only improviser friendly, it's pet friendly as well. And I mean that. Not many hotels can boast that. Check out the official hotel of Improv Nerd. That's the Hotel Lincoln. We have got a great episode for you today. Our guest today is beloved improv teacher from the Second City Training Center, Jay Suko. Now, Jay has been around improvising since the 90s. He's performed with the Improv Olympic, or the I.O. Chicago, as they call it now, the Second City, and comedy sports. We talked to Jay about why short form gets a sh- kind of the short end of the stick and why he loves to play short form games with comedy sports. At the beginning of this interview with Jay, I asked him if he considers himself a master at at teaching improv. And he was smart enough uh, to to turn it back to me and and said, do I consider myself a master? And, of course, I said no, because uh, I'm filled with shame and low self-esteem. But the truth is, it's so hard to say this, I do consider myself... Ah, I want to say yes, I do consider myself a master, and I do consider myself great, as a great improv teacher, and I'm stumbling as I say this. Uh, The two things that I'm sure that I'm very good at is an improv teacher and interviewing people. Uh, And that is very hard for you, for me to admit, because I think, and I was saying this to my wife, uh, Lauren, I said is, you know, before I do these these little talks at the beginning, I always say, Lauren, this is what I'm going to talk about. And, and I said, Lauren, um, the thing about improvisers is we're all so filled with this fake humility. And she goes, well, you know, Jimmy, it's not just improvisers, it's everybody. And so as hard as it is to admit it, something, um, I mean, it's very easy for me to say, you know, uh, admit something that I'm not good at. I kind of enjoy that. But for me to say, you know what, I am a great improviser. I'm a great, oh my God, it slipped. I'm a great improviser. I'm a great improv teacher. And I'm a great interviewer is really, really difficult. And I think it's important for me uh, because it, it helps me become even better at, at being an improviser, a teacher, and an interviewer. God, was that hard. All of that was so uncomfortable. I cannot tell you. So uh, enough with the uncomfortability. You're really going to love this episode. Here it is, the Jay Suko episode. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. How do you feel about that reception? It's <laughs> uh, pretty awesome. Oh my God. That's great. Thank you so much for coming out, everyone. 
It's crazy. It's crazy. Are you comfortable with it, or does it scare you? Or oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Okay. <laughs> I would, I would you be? No, I would no. want to. I would want to kill myself. Yeah. I would want to take a rope back there and hang myself. When you said like Matt, whatever you master this, I was like, uh-uh. uh-uh. I don't want to go out there. You don't consider yourself a master, or a, a really? No. Okay. What no. do you consider yourself? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I still feel. I mean, I still feel like it's it's still new. I mean, I guess I've been doing it a while, in that in that regard. But like, I don't, I don't have to say master is like, like a master or anything. I feel like that means you've achieved something. I don't think I have. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you think you're a master teacher? No, not at all. Exactly. Not See, all. <laughs> I, I feel mean, like it's by de- like default our age. Right. That's what. But there's also. Like, he's got some gray in his hair. He must be yeah. a master. Yeah. I mean, I still consider the people I learned from masters. Like those were the. the and who ones. are those people? Uh, my first improv teacher was Stephen Colbert, and then I had Dave Rosowski, then I had Steve Carell. So those were like my first three teachers, and then I. I studied with you. I had a class with you. Um, I studied with uh, Del Close and, and Sharna and Dave Gaudette at Comedy Sports and Mick. So, yeah, I've learned from, like, I've had a lot of really great teachers. And so I feel like they are the ones. I feel like, I don't know, I'm just kind of trying to do it, I guess. Were they on a pedestal and you're, you don't feel like you can join them on there? Oh, come on. Well, that's how I feel. Yeah, Steve Carell. Hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> But let me ask you this. Do you think that you're, and I'm, this is a senior question, do you think you're a better improv teacher than Stephen, Car- uh, Stephen Gobert or Stephen Carell? Steve Carell? Oh, no. It's, I, I don't know. I, that's a hard question. Okay. I don't think so. Definitely not Colbert because I remember my first class at Second City. It was at Second City Northwest in mm-hmm. Early Meadows. Uh, and the first thing we ever did, I was like, he goes, there's a string from the top of your head pulling you to the, the ceiling. And I remember my first step, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is so, I can't believe this. And I just remember learning so much that, yeah, I don't know. It's like, you know, do you, do you consider yourself a better teacher than those you learn from? Mm, um, <laughs> I feel like... I, I think I can bring something that those people can't, and they could bring something that I couldn't bring. Yeah. I feel like I might be more passionate about it, for sure. I feel that that way. That like, I really think improv is a way of life and a philosophy. And if everybody took one improv class, the world would be a better place by far. <laughs> and I, I feel like those other folks were at that time more into like the performing side. Right, because I think when we started out, if you were, if you said you wanted to be a teacher or a director, right from the get-go, and you didn't want to be on main stage of Second City, yeah. there was something wrong. Yeah. So you started out at Second City. That was your first. Second City Northwest. Second City Northwest. Meadows. And then you ended up. You started. You, you went to I.O. and then comedy mm-hmm. sports. And um, it was interesting because at Northwest you started out with a group of friends, right? Became friends. Friends. Yeah. And you guys were doing shows there and stuff like that. And then you ended up at, at I.O. Mm-hmm. And those friends got on teams and stuff like that. And you didn't. Uh, I got on a team. What happened is um, 
I went through Northwest, and my my class when we graduated, it was not like now where you did like five levels of improv. It was like improv, improv. We did a show. Then we wrote some sketch. Then our fifth kind of level was a full review. We did sketch and then uh, improv. And Cheryl Sloan was producing out there, and she said, hey, you want to do a best of? We said, sure. So we did a best of the Second City Northwest. And then my group was like, let's go take classes at this place called IO. There's this guy, Del Close. And it was like, that was the Jesus of improv. And I didn't know, we didn't know who he was. But it was like, you got to take it from this guy. And so we were in level one, and the group that I went down there with, most of them formed a team called Lost Yetis out of level one. And Which then was like Bob Dassey. Bob Dassey, Ed Dassey, Joe Sliman, Joe Yao. Um, they were like, you would watch, and they were amazing. And they were amazing. you watch them like roll on the floor and go to dinner. It was, it was crazy. They also played a lot because at that time, Sharna said, the more people you bring in, the more you play. Which is a smart business move. Mm-hmm. Like bringing customers. So they did, and then I was put on another team with, um, the only guy I remember is Michael Strenning Jr. Because he used to he used to ring the doorbell rehearsal, it's like, hello, and he'd go, Michael Strenning Jr. <laughs> and so, and he, and I'm still, I'm still friends with him, but, so that was my, and then I kept getting bounced around from team to team, which... But the Yetis was, they were like a house team. They were and on, you yeah. really didn't find your way. How was that when you saw your friends... Honestly, I remember doing shows, and at that time I was also uh, doing shows at comedy sports, and I would be doing shows, it was above Mullins, it was called the Wrigley side, and I would be sitting there lost in the show, and my friends would be like, dude, what's happening? I'm like, I don't know. I know we're, we're supposed to do like scenes and then a game, and, and I, it was not my thing at the time, but I loved comedy sports. And I think it gets a bad rap in this city because I think it's like short form, man, and that's the place to go. And I fell in love with short form, and I was like doing four shows a week there, and I was, uh, I was in the, an improv dream house. Like my roommates were improvisers from comedy sports. Three floors were like comedy sports, so <laughs> it's like we worked together and played together. It was so much fun. What kind of crazy stuff happened in that house? Oh, <laughs> I, I want to know. This is this is what. Where's my wife? <laughs> I'm sure she. I'm oh, she's riding back there. Um, my wife Laura. I mean, Jimmy, you're 23, 24. What's the weirdest thing that happened? A three-way. <laughs> That's slick, dude. Okay. Uh, the weirdest thing is my friend Kevin Colby and I went, like, uh, climb out the window, and it was like, this was an old, like, gray stone, so you shouldn't be, you know, there's like a, a roof you climb onto, and you shouldn't be there, and he's like, let's get some eggs and throw it at this abandoned car on our street. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm a follower, and I'm a, I'm a codependent. I love people to like me, so I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And we threw it, and then the guy comes out, and this car had been abandoned for months. And the guy comes out, he's like, what are you guys doing? Like, ah, nothing, sorry. But, like, you, you want weird stories. Like, man, we're improvisers. The weirdest thing, I don't know, we'd have uh, parties? We used to have parties, it was like, in the front room would be Second City, in the middle room would be I.O., and on the porch would be Comedy Sports. Like, they were so segregated at that time that I remember that. And how did you float between those three groups? Uh, I'd float, just like that. Like, I'd kind of, just kind of go, you know, up and down, and I kind of just mostly hung out with Comedy Sports at that time. But yeah, I had friends who were at I.O. And, and Second City and things like that. And I, honestly, I just loved improvising. 
Like I never was like, oh, I want to make the main stage or at Second City or Turco. I was just, I loved improvising. I loved playing short form. We used to have like maybe 10 of us or 15 would play a lot of shows. So you got to be really good. You got to be like really good at what you did. And so. And what is it about short form that you loved? Audiences understand it. That's the only time you'll get paid. You mean, the, you, mean the, you mean the feedback, the laughter and stuff like that? Uh, I mean, it's hard. We're, we're in a community where, like, improv. Here in Chicago. Here in Chicago. And now spreading throughout the country where improv, it's like everybody wants to do long form, which is great. I love long form, too. But, like, in order to, to make money, which is like, that should be a goal. It's like, to get paid. And you should value yourself to be like, yeah, I deserve to get paid. In order to do that, um, short form is really, you know, and we perform for an audience. It's not like we let them lead us, but definitely we need them there. And so to do a long form, which is like where you're going, what is happening here? Versus a short form, which is like, okay, I get what the game is. Like the audience is already one step ahead of us. They get the game. So I feel like they enjoy it a lot more. Well, so it's almost like you're saying there's a disconnect. Like short form, they get it. There's a connection. They get the games. Mm -hmm. They understand it. But with long form, there's almost a disconnect between the audience and, and, and what's going on stage. I think sometimes. I think sometimes, too, because, um, you know, a lot of times it's billed as, a lot of improv is billed as, um, you know, funny. And I think that's definitely, there is room for that. But I also think it's like, it's still theater. We still do improv in theaters. And I think a lot of times that disconnect comes from people really pushing hard to be funny. And so that, I think, is a lot of time where a disconnect comes Because from. when you tell me about short form, my judgment is like, that's what it is, pushing to be really hard to be funny. Um, I'm gonna, I'll, push, I'll push back on Please. that. Because it's still, um, the games are set up, but you still have to do good scene work to do well in short form. You still have to. The difference is, long form and short form are really the same. The difference is short form, somebody says at the top, here's what we're doing. In long form, you have to agree upon that without saying what it is. You're still doing kind of games in long form. In short form, you still need to have solid scene work. You just need to make decisions faster because we know it's... That's what I always found playing with comedy sports people. They could get to it faster. You get to it fast. And I feel I play long... I I improvise the same way even in long form. It's like, let's get to it. Like, uh, for me, I I don't want to wander on stage. I want to get to that thing. I want to get to that connection. The same with short form. You can go watch short form and it's not good either. You know, but I think you need that. You need that, and I, it's always the same thing. Where it's like, even in that long, that fast pace of short form, you still got to slow down and listen. You still got to be present. And I think it, it gets a bad rap, especially like comedy shorts, where it's like, well, if you look, a lot of people have gone on to do things. You need that short form experience to get hired for a lot of other places. So then you, 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 you're doing comedy sports, which you continue to do, and then you're at I.O., and then you get into this ki- kind of, uh, it's kind of a, a dark period in your life. Uh, uh, <laughs> Jimmy, go right to it. Right, I, I have to. That is what my, that's why kind people of a dark period. Um, you get into a car accident, right? Mm-hmm. You, but you're also, you're kind of bitter and, and feel oh, entitled. Big time. Like, People have passed you over. What's the bitter entitlement? Um, I became bitter and entitled later. At this point, um, I mean, maybe phase two, bitter entitled. <laughs> this point, I became. Um, I had a relationship that went bad, 
I was not happy uh, with where I was in life in general. It wasn't like I wanted to, I wasn't jealous of other people where it's like I want to do that. It was just like, I'm just not happy and I don't know how to process my feelings. Mm -hmm. But so, you were drinking too, right, at that time? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Drugs yeah. too? Uh, is my life good? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But not like, I would smoke pot. That was it. I, I was lucky enough to know like anything else because of my, uh, my uh, obsessive genes mm -hmm. would be like, yeah, I'd ruin my life. I knew that. I'd be like, yeah, I can understand why people lose their house over right. it. So I was doing, you know, I was at that point where I was like, ah, I'm, I wasn't really eating well. I wasn't really exercising. I was just, you know, 25. Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm, I, I'm like, why are people not improvising the way I do? And then I love setting fires and leaving dramatically. Yeah, you had a reputation for that for a long Did time. I? Yes. That you <laughs> Yeah, then you're kind of like, oh, you, you know, he burned a bridge. Oh, yeah. I burned the town. <laughs> then I burned the bridge again. Like, what do you think that was about? Immaturity. Uh-huh. Fear, insecurity. Looking around, like, just feeling entitled. Feeling like, why doesn't this place do things the way I think they should? And it's like, oh, because they don't have to. <laughs> he doesn't have to. She doesn't have to improvise the way I do because they don't have to. And so how did you change that behavior? Because you don't have that reputation today. Okay, I hope not. <laughs> I, um, growing up, growing up and going through things and dealing with feelings and like processing emotions and realizing like, you know, why I got an improv, which was making other people look good. Like I really enjoyed, like I was big in sports growing up and I remember like in improv being like, we can do something so much cooler than I can. When I first started, I was like, this is great. And like people coming in and being like, yeah, play. Like very inclusive. And I became almost exclusive at a point. And I needed to step away. I was doing so many shows, like consistently. And I was like, weekends, like my life was all improv. And so I'd bring nothing to the stage but improv. And I got really bitter. And then I got like, ugh. and then like people would move on to do things, and I'd get mad about that, about them moving on. But was that more of an abandonment issue, or was that jealousy? It was abandonment. It wasn't jealousy. And where, do you know where that came from? Family. Hmm. Everything comes from family. Right. Is that what they? Is that true? <laughs> That's true. Everything oh, good, comes. Good. Everything comes from family. Like uh -huh. everything comes from, and and like you know, I'm sure part of it is like my dad dying. When my dad died, it was like okay, we had just started to become friends at that point, and so that added to it. And like watching him go through what he went through, it was like, oh man. And at that point, everything kind of came to a like a perfect storm of emotion. And then mm -hmm. it was just like, and I like dropped out. Like I dropped out. I didn't want to see anybody. Like I was just like, well, all right. And then that's when I, I was just gonna say that's when it was like, well, I guess I'm done with that part of my life. Not sure what's gonna happen. Meaning improv. Mm -hmm. You were done with comedy. Yeah. And you went into uh, depression. Mm -hmm. And what did, what did depression, for me, depression was like staying in bed, getting up, having a coffee cake, and then going back to bed. And what was it like for you? Because I think people throw that word out. Mine was like staying in bed, going up, getting some coffee cake, and going back to bed. Exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And just being like, I hope this day goes by. It wasn't like I wanted to die. It was just more like this like cloud of sadness. Mm -hmm that I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then I was, uh, my dad got cancer. He got mesothelioma, which is asbestos cancer. 
And so I kind of quit what I was doing to move back home, and then I just watched him. He went from like 160 to 80, and I watched this strong man just go into where you're in a catatonic state. And then it was just like, you know, I was depressed, and I was having dreams about like, like, you know, the typical, what you hear about like water rushing and like mm -hmm. can't get out. Right. And I remember one night I was just like, I don't know what's out there, man, but please help me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like playing, praying to God, but I was just like, whatever's there, I need help. And then I remember getting a sense of calm. I was like, oh, okay, that helped. But I was going through all that stuff. So it was like, you know, I was late 20s, not, you know, I didn't have a career. I was like, I was doing everything to improvise. So I was like working at diners and call centers. And, and I was just like, all right, well, let's see what happens now. And then I just never, there was no incentive at that point for me to get out of bed. So I was just like, eh, all right. So how did that change? Did you get therapy? Uh, I didn't, I don't think I got therapy at that point. Um, I, I had also health issues with my back, so it was like all this. Due to the car due accident. Due to the car accident. And they said you were gonna be in pain for the rest of your life? Yep. Uh, Are you on, still in pain? Mm -mm. Okay. I was on Lakeshore Drive. I was three days from opening a show that I'd worked months on, and I was on Lakeshore at Balbo, headed south, and somebody was turning from the northbound lane and turned across traffic, and I T-boned that person, and I passed out. Um, yeah, my head hit the windshield, and I came to, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, that wasn't good. <laughs> and I looked, and, and I'm like on Lakeshore, and the cop comes over and knocks on my window, and he's like, can you move your car? You're um, restricting the flow of traffic. <laughs> and I was, it was total. Like, I was like, all right. And then that kind of, with the depression, I think, is why I had a lot of back issues. Because it wasn't like, you know, it was more like, I think, uh, muscular and a little bit of like maybe degeneration of discs. Like, but with the emotional state, I think it really accelerated things. And so yeah, it was like, I wasn't feeling good health-wise, and, um, and then I remember one day I said, well, if the end result every day is I'm gonna be in pain, I'm not gonna sit in bed and just take this. This can't be the end, I'm in my 20s. I'm like, there's no way, I'm not gonna spend the rest of my life doing this in pain. And then I said, all right, and so each day I kinda took that little step, getting closer and closer to like, I'm not gonna let this beat me. And so, from there, you go to Club Med, you become the village entertainer mm -hmm. for a year, and that helps. And then. You, <laughs> I love your segues. Well, <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. It's true. And then you, you meet a woman, and you're going to marry, get married, and you end up in Canada. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when you get into <laughs> Canada? Because that, that changes the course here, then. Yeah, so I got into Club Med because I had gone there originally with Comedy Sports. We did two weeks of shows, basically free vacation. Mm -hmm. And so when I was kind of like, ah, I got to, I got to feel better. I started researching and then I sent in an application and became the village entertainer. Um, and I met this, this woman and she was great. Um, she was 10 years younger than I was, but we were about the same age. She was probably a little older than me emotionally. Uh, and I really went there and it's like it really helped me just in my recovery. And we, we got engaged, which uh, was my second engagement of my life at two, that point. Two, two, two car accidents, two engagements. Two car accidents, <laughs> two engagements. I yep. need to, just remember. Two and two. Um, the second, I had a second car accident, which was the same thing. Somebody turned in front of me, I T-boned them. So, um, so we went, we left Club Med, and she lived in Montreal. So we went up there, and it was like, um, I guess I'm going to live in Canada. So I went to Canada, and... 
they have this huge comedy festival called Just for Laughs, and it's the biggest one in the world. And so I'm there at that time, and, and I'm walking down the street, and I'm like, I'm gonna check out some stand-up, and a guy on the street is like, hey, do you wanna see competitive improv? And I went, nope. <laughs> no, that went, you know, that's the last thing I want to see. See it for? I'm like, no. He goes, here, take tickets. It's free. If you want to see it, I'm like, all right. So then I'm walking around, and the show was starting, and I'm like, I'm just gonna see if how my chops are. I'm walked in. I'm like, I'm gonna see if I could still do this, and it looked like a comedy sports match. It was like a team from Toronto against a team from New York. Let's welcome out our New York team, and the first person that comes out is this guy named Bill Cott. Very funny guy. Very funny. We did a two-person show years ago called Motherless Stage Horrors. <laughs> Long form for an hour years ago. And then Rachel Hamilton comes out. Mm -hmm. She was also in comedy sports. And they were the first two people, and they did three hours of improv, short form. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, improv, what are you doing? I go, I live here. And they go, why are you not in Chicago? And I said, oh, because I'm engaged, and I'm up here. And then I spent the week with them, and each day it was like, you should go back. <laughs> and I remember after that week was over, and I was running low on money, and I remember I turned to Valerie Cooley, and I said, I'm just going to go home, and I'm going to earn some money and come back. And she went, okay. Because she knew. She knew you were breaking up with her? No, she knew... I wasn't coming back. Okay. She knew that, like, my heart was here in Chicago. And so she was like, all right. I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to go earn money. And she goes, okay. And she, and she knew. And so then I came back, and that was Did August. you break it? Did you break it off with her? No, not for a while. We, I would fly up to see her. Uh -huh. And um, we got an apartment together. And here I was, in Chicago? In Montreal. Okay. And I said, uh, you're not going to pay. Like, I'm not leaving you with the rent. Like, I'll obviously pay my share so I would come up and see her like every couple weeks but then it got you know that was August of 2001 and then 9-11 hit and then it was like the more I stayed here the harder it was to go up there and so then it just kind of was like and we just had that conversation and she knew so it wasn't like I mean she she knew before I knew because I was really intent on just coming back up but she was like ah so she knew that's what I wanted to do. And here's the thing that I find amazing in your story. You go back to the Improv Olympic, or I.O., and, you, and your first teacher is somebody who was in one of your first classes, Bob Dassey. Yep. Now, what is that like to go back? He is your teacher, and you guys were peers. Yeah, we, um, I came back, and I was like, I'm going to take... I saw Bob's brother, Ed. I took the... I took Amtrak from Montreal back to Chicago, so I had all my stuff, and at Union Station, I see Ed Dassey. And he had just moved back. And he's like, I'm going to take classes at Improv Olympic. I'm like, all right. So I went to enroll, and the first person I see is Liz Allen. And Liz and Bob and Ed and myself and this guy Ed Brown and Judy Fabjance were all in a group at Second City Northwest years before. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm going to ask you. And I said, I want to just take classes again. So she put me in level two, and Bob was my teacher. And at the time, I was like, this is great. Like, I wasn't thinking, like, all right, how's this guy going to teach me? I was like, oh, let's see what happens. And he was a, he's a great teacher. How do you do that? How do you show up with no ego? Because I wouldn't be like that. <laughs> Honestly. Um, I don't know. I think I was just really excited to get back to improvise and nervous. And I went in there going, B, 
because I didn't want to, I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me, to come in and be like, question, uh, remember that time when we did that? I wouldn't want that. And I really just wanted, I was, had no desire to perform at that point. I just was like, I want to get back into that ensemble feeling. And Ed was with me, so it's like, well, if his brother's in this class and he's not saying anything, why don't I just listen and pay attention? And I did, and I learned a lot from him. And then you, 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 you do well at I.O., you become a teacher and a, and, and a coach and stuff like that. And then you, you go on to Second City where you are now teaching. Teaching. Mm -hmm. And then you're do, directing and, and coaching uh, outside independent teams and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. what, is your, uh, what is your favorite kind of student to work with? The ones that go on to Saturday Night Live and become famous? Oh, no. <laughs> no, uh, and I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. Are you um, anti-fame? No, no, man. I want somebody on TV to be like, uh, say my name for sure. Okay. <laughs> I want somebody to get up at the Oscars and be like, and my first improv teacher, right. Jimmy Crane, and then my second one. No, my favorite ones are the ones that, one of my favorites is this woman named Eileen Kahana. She was in my level B. And after each at Second week, City, level at Second City, and after each week, I say, "What are you taking from today? What are you putting in your tool belt?" And she goes, "I just wanted to say that I, I wanted to punch you in the nose." <laughs> and she's a sixty-something retired public school teacher. So I would have like mother issues come up. Oh, you know, dude, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. And she said, and I go, "What?" She goes, "No, no, hold on." She goes, "Because you kept making me say yes, and I didn't want to do that, but now I understand." And now she's gone on to make improv her life. And she has a, a group called Room to Improv. And she's using improv for CPS, for students. Chicago Public Schools. Chicago, Chicago Public Schools. And also for veterans who are trying to reassimilate into, into society. So she's using that for good. And she sees the power in improv. And so people like that, or people who come up to me and say, you know, I play better with my grandkids now. Or people who say, I had this... I had this speech I had to give at work, and I thought about what you were saying, and, I, and it, I, I got an amazing reaction. And those, to me, are the ones where it's like, like, to me, the students who are already one foot on a stage at Second City or SNL, um, although I appreciate them, the ones I really get something out of are the ones that just come in to improve themselves, or just like, just being here is scary. And those are usually the ones that are, are really good because they aren't trying to get anywhere. And they're just themselves. And to me, people are so interested. Is that really you? Someone who's not trying to get anywhere and is just in the moment? Uh, I think, man, if I'm trying to get somewhere, I'm, I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I, yeah, I think I'm really, I've never wanted to be like, I've never wanted to be on Second City main stage. I've never wanted, it's not like the thought to me of doing eight or nine shows a week, the same show, oh, it's not my thing. But improvising, so and I try to stay in the moment for sure, for sure. Laura, <laughs> does Jay stay in the moment, Laura, most of the time? What's that now? <laughs> <laughs> she's probably, she's probably. On her I phone. would imagine. <laughs> what is that? She's probably on her phone right now. Okay. All right, so let's improvise. You ready? Yeah. Let, let's, see we, let's see if we can stay in the moment. All right, so how do you like to start a scene? Um, like suggestion? I, I just like to start. 
don't you want to? Okay, we're not even going to take a suggestion. We're just going to go. Yeah, you want okay, to go? Okay, great. Yeah, let's go. The car's okay. right here. You want okay. to go? Yeah, I'd love to. Right there. Get in the passenger okay. side. Okay, great. All right. You want to get in the passenger? Yeah, I'm gonna get in the passenger. Right, I'll get in the front. You get in the front. I'll get in the front. Okay. I want to go like '70s style, Mark. Great. I've never been in here. Groovy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mark Seven. It's a Mark Seven, Mark. Oh, it's a U Seven. I got it. Man. <laughs> it's a U Seven, yeah. dude. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I'm just like, it, I'm just afraid, like your dad, like if he finds out, you know, we're taking his car and stuff, he'll kill us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's a marine man. I know. I know. He'll kill us if he finds out. That's the joy of it. Yeah, yeah, this is cool, man. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're total badass. Yeah. Like, boom. <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's roll down the window. Okay. Let's just we'll just chill out in the garage. Yeah, let's chill out in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where to go? Yeah. Chill out. Oh, chill. I'm totally chill. It's like I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, I'm happy to see you. I'm rushing so much, man. Pardon? I'm rushing so much. What does that mean? It means I'm in a hurry. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I got. I'm probably mumbling. I got dry mouth. So oh, because yeah, that. yeah, because you just went to the dentist. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah, they fill, they uh, they that false tooth. Yeah. Okay. All right. You don't have to stick it in my face. Come on. Stick yours in my face. Okay. There. <laughs> Let's cheer our teeth. Come on, Mark. Cheer my teeth. Okay. Yeah. It's cool. Two guys sitting in the garage cheering their teeth. It's dumb, man. It's like the Novocaine hasn't wore off. Like, ah, I had a dream my teeth fell out. I remember that dream too. It means something. Yeah, it does. It's like you're not prepared or. Yeah, or gay. I think everyone is a little. Yeah, I do too. You just chill out here, man. Yeah, I'll chill out. See what happens. It's hot in here. Super hot. Yeah. outside. It must be 110 in here. We're in a garage, man. I know. Yeah. Just turn it on low. Okay. I'm breathing heavy. Oh. I have asthma. I'm just called untreated asthma. Sounds like you know what it is. I know what it is. Yeah. My parents are waiting to get insurance. You want some of my Ventolin? What is that? It's an inhaler. Oh, okay. You want some? Yeah, I, my parents mm. said once we get a, an Obamacare, we'll get insurance. <laughs> How do you use this thing? You just you snorted? Worked? Yeah, let's snort him. Let's snort this bad boy easily. Remember? <laughs> burns, man. It's speed. You know, Ventolin speed. Yeah. It opens up your bronchial airways. Okay. <laughs> Whoa! Hi, man. Let's take the 
Yeah. All right. Come on. Let me get the garage door. You want to open it or you want to lift it? You can lift it. Do you have a buzzer thing? Yeah, I got oh, a buzzer yeah. thing. <laughs> cool, man. I didn't know you had that. Born to be wild. Get your motor. Fuck your damn. Yeah. Fuck your fucking man. Fuck you, Don Larson. Don Larson, come chase us and beat the shit out of us. Yeah, yeah, beat the shit out of us. Let us feel life. Be dead. Don Larson. That's what I would do to your dad. I would spread Oh, it hurt. I knew that window was open. But if he came, I, I'd roll that window down and I'd slug him. Because he's an awful father. He's terrible. Things he calls you, like when I'm over there, I feel shame for you, man. Why? He's like, oh, you're such a pussy. You're such oh, a pussy. I am. I am in a way. I know you're a pussy. I don't like confrontation, man. I know, man. I hate it. That's why we're friends, because we both don't like right? conversations. We hate yeah. it. Yeah. Conversation yeah. too. Yeah. I hate confrontational conversations, man. I can't man. stand them. I like just to be like, yeah, whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I understand that, man, but like your dad is like, he's calling you a pussy in front of me. You feel uncomfortable? Yeah, I feel bad oh, for yeah. you. Like, I'm like, what kind of dad does that? My dad. I know. <laughs> Lots of dads do. They don't Mine doesn't. Do I mean, he calls me stupid, but that's different than a pussy. I'd rather be stupid than a pussy. You know why? Yeah, I know why. I, why? Because you like to have it served to you softly, man. Yes. <laughs> I like to have it just set. I think the intent's the same. Stupid pussy, it's the same thing. Words, man, it's the intent behind the words. Still rather be stupid than a pussy. <laughs> Don't you feel like emasculated when he says that? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, I feel emasculated for you. You know what? I've had dreams that I kill your dad. Still <laughs> kill my dad. Really? Yes. No. Seriously. I'm serious no, too. No. 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 What do you mean? No. Seriously. I'm serious. Because look, I stole this from my dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's shoot him. No, I mean, shoot seriously. Me this is not arm. a joke. Shoot me in the arm. I'm serious. I want to okay, if I shoot you in the arm, that means we're going to kill your dad. That's, this is a test. I'll pinky swear that. Okay. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> I didn't do anything, man. Gun went off? Oh fuck! Oh shit! It went off! Oh damn! Oh my god! Oh god! Oh, 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 damn! Okay, 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 okay. Rip off your shirt. Make a tourniquet. Rip half your I gotta shirt. go to church. Rip half your I, shirt. I gotta go to church and have it. Leave the bear. Leave okay, the bear. Right, right. Right. Rip the yeah. Rip the sleeve, dude. Okay, 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 okay. Don't let me die. I'm not gonna let you die. Don't let me die. Don't let me die. Okay, I'm not letting you die. Okay, let's die, Nathan. I'm not letting you die. Don't okay, I gotta drive to the hospital. I gotta drive to the hospital. I can't move, but you can okay. be on me. Okay. <laughs> push, push my leg and steer. You have okay. to hit okay. my leg and okay. steer. Okay, I just wanna say that's totally gay, me getting on top of you. What's wrong okay. with being gay? Nothing is. Nothing is. You seem like it's the fear. No, I'm not. Nothing. It's not a fear. It's You're not a fear. gay. I'm not gay. Look me in the eye. I'm not gay. Are you gay? A little gay. All right. Yeah, see? <laughs> Okay, you have to put ow, 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 ow. No, no, you, you're good. Ow, ow. Good, 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 good. So I got, I got the gas, man. I can't see. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to drive. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, I'm putting, I'm putting it into drive now. This is my 
It's the best day I've ever had, man. <laughs> the best day, man. I'm like a movie star. Oh, it is warm, man. Blood is warm. It's not like in the movies where you're, you're like, gone without me. It's like, no, this hurts. <laughs> I'm like losing feeling, man. You're a good friend. You're a good friend too, man. Yeah. I just don't want anything to happen to you. Something happened, but... <laughs> I'm not going to say it was you. Okay, we're here, man. All right. Okay. You, you got to get me you out. You can't say that I shot you or I, the police are going to be involved. Oh, I think the police are going to be involved. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, man. I'm going to have the gun. I'm going to say I was screwing around. Okay. You got to get me... There's the gun. Out the door. I'm getting the gun. Bang! You got shot because it's real. Yes, it's real. So what was I? So you said I was giving. What was? What was I giving you? Where was the gift? Everything I needed for the scene. Everything like, was, well, like that you, we just went, uh-huh. and you were there. And when you said like I'm gonna get in the passenger side, I thought, oh man, we're buds. I want to do this thing. But it was like I want it. And what I loved is when you're like, let's go. Uh-huh. I'm like, yes. Let's get out of this garage and go. Mm-hmm. Everything you were saying was just like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And I can't like, I look in your eyes and it's like, oh yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. What did you see in my eyes and say, oh, there it is? Cause you, I, you were like, gay. Okay. All right. Are you serious? For sure. The character? Oh, yeah. Okay. The character. <laughs> Are you still getting gay? I'm looking. Are you still getting gay? Okay. So, go go with that. So you got the that in the scene I was gay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I didn't. Get, I I at a certain point I saw it. Okay. And I was hearing what you were saying. Okay. So to me, it's like, oh yeah, passive aggressive, mm-hmm. stuffing things down. Oh, for sure. Okay. And you got that just off a look. Yeah. Okay. I got everything in the scene off of. What you were doing, I feel mm-hmm. like it snowballs. Okay, so you go in your head, okay, I think that character's gay. How do you then play it differently? I don't think that character's gay. Mm-hmm. I think Mark is gay. Okay. I don't look at, I'm, I'm not like, oh, Jimmy's playing this character, and we're heightening this game. And I'm like, I want to be in the moment in this situation as much as possible right. and believe it. <coughs> so then what happens? I don't know. But what I'm trying to get at is, when you make that, then how do you use it? 
What do you mean? When you make that, you make that leap. That uh -huh. character is gay. How do you then use it in the scene? What does that tell you about our relationship? What is that? What information? Oh wow. Oh. <laughs> it just—it's like oh, I'm hanging out with my friend who this I just discovered, mm -hmm. or we discovered it about each other. How do I use it? I'm not sure. I guess I don't think that much about it. Okay. I mean, I'm just like, I don't know, we're going this place. It becomes very clear. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw the garage. Mm -hmm. I saw, yeah, I knew it was hot. And I knew it was hot based on, like, I mean, you were also, before you even said it, you were, like, sweating and, like, moving. I'm like, oh, it's probably a hot summer day. Mm -hmm. And we're in this garage. But, yeah, I felt like we were, we had, that scene we, we jumped into and it had been happening. And now those two dudes are are in the hospital parking lot and <laughs> getting shot and cry, trying to crawl out and and who knows what's going to happen then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I felt like it was already there and if you don't, you know, if we don't go with it, it stops what's happening. So I guess I don't really have a process. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm just more like, oh, what do we want to do? Let's play. That's my big thing. It's like, let's play. Okay. All right, so let's take some questions from the, the audience. Sure. Okay, great. If we could turn the lights up. And Josh has got the microphone, so uh, if you've got a question, uh, uh, just put your hands up and we'll come and uh, get you. So uh, anything we just did for Jay. Uh, or Jimmy. Or, or Jimmy. <laughs> and his award-winning arts little comedy classes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first. Great. Uh, so uh, you talked earlier about you know, how you're going through a lot of rough stuff in your life at one point, and yet you're still doing improv. Um, what advice do you have for days whenever, you know, you have a car accident or you find out bad news, and later that night you have to do what you just did? Like, how, how do you do that, where you turn a, what it could be a terrible day or even a phase in your life into that, which I was laughing hysterically that whole time. So oh, you, wow. How do you, you do both of that in the same day? Um, Oh, wow, great. Thanks for that question, too. Um, I guess when I was going through a lot of my rough stuff, I wasn't improvising, but then I came back and I was going through tough stuff, too. It's For me, it's you have to surround yourself with people you choose to play with who give you love. And then with that, you have to then allow yourself those moments to be like, I'm improvising and I'm not feeling well. So why don't we just deal with that? Like my friend Bill, we did a two-person <coughs> show, and his, he was like maybe 21, and his parents were from St. Louis, and they drove up the first time they were ever going to see him perform. And it was at um, Victory Gardens, what used to be Victory Gardens, uh -huh. which is Greenhouse yes, in, in, on Lincoln in Chicago. They drove around the block a couple times, couldn't find parking, and then went to the hotel. <laughs> and so what we did is dealt with it in the show. And we played honest and truth. And that's why I'm like, this is theater, man. We could say things with what we do. So either bring it on stage with you. But more importantly than that, surround yourself with the people who get you. Choose the people you play with. Allow, let your, your group allow you to explore that stuff. Because that's when the biggest gold is, man, is when you can do that stuff. And then give yourself a break. Be like, yep, I'm having a bad day. My friend, not my friend, my therapist, Ron Crouch, who I quote all the time, says, if you're depressed, be the best depressed you can be. And I hated that for years. And then I'm like, oh, I get it now. I can't change it. I have to sit through this emotion. And if I 
feel so bad, then I just remove myself. But it's amazing what a group of friends and supportive people will do, which is all we have to do in improv is support. Then they'll allow you to explore those, man. But it's, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to leave, you know, but it's also okay to deal with it. Does that? Yeah. Great. Another question? Right over here. And your name is? I'm Tom. Hey, Tom. How you doing, Jimmy? Hey, Tom. How you doing? In Jimmy's book, there was available the lobby. He also has a We'll sign it for you, too, by uh, He mentions, too, about people that just do a lot of shows that don't have a life outside of improv where you have nothing to draw on. In your own personal life, did you find it got saturated at one point and you had to step back for a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I found that it was... It was I was oversaturated. I was spreading myself thin. And also I was bringing things to the stage that weren't true and honest to myself. So I think that combination is deadly. I think when you do a lot of shows, A, it's, it's good because you, you get those calluses of performing. Um, and you start developing who you are as a performer. But I think also, like, man, if you don't, and you've heard this a lot, if you don't have a life outside to bring, you can't bring anything but improv to the stage. And then that's all you're bringing. And that gets pretty boring. Great. Another question? Over here. And your name is? Uh, Ann O'Brien. Hi, Ann O'Brien. Hi, Ann O'Brien. Do you know Ann O'Brien? I do. Okay. Ann's great. She's given um, our son Jack a lot of wonderful books. She's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm just so terrific at improv, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. my, my question to both of you or either of you, when did you or have you overcome stage fright? Or do you still get anxious before you go on stage? Um, <clears throat> I still get it. I still get it. Uh, sometimes I feel more confident than others, uh, but I, I, I still get it, you know? Yeah. I think it's always there because I think you care about it. And I think anytime you care and you're putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, you're going you're gonna to have fright. I think um, you just accept it, and then you realize it's energy. It's excitement more than anything. And you get out there, and like our brains say, our brains are liars, because your brain's like, you're going to do bad. Your brain's never like, this is going to go great. You're going to have so much fun. Your brain's always like, no, you can't do it. So then that manifests itself. And then once you don't care, and it's not that you don't, once you're like, eh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And it gets easier, but really, it's like time, and you, I was nervous before tonight. I was like, oh, I'm going to go out there and do this, and all these people and everything, and then you just, it's experience, but it's always there. It's there for any artist, really. I'm nervous right now. I'm nervous, too. <laughs> I'm nervous, too. Uh, the other thing I found with Sage Friend is, if you have a supportive ensemble, we go back there and go, I, I, you know, yeah. just to check in and go, I'm feeling really nervous, or my parents are out there, or yeah. there's a huge house, or whatever, and to speak, not to look for like a result, them to fix it, but put just it so you can, you can verbalize it. You can it. get it out there, and you, you can put it out, and it becomes easier. But yeah, I think a lot of times we don't do that enough, on stage and off, is like, here's how I feel. I'm honestly, like, honesty, man, is where it's at. Yeah. Great. Another question? Right here. Hi. Hi, Hi Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Hey. Loved your show. Thank you so much. Love your show. Thank you. Um, I was wondering kind of um, what you're working on now and what you're looking forward to. Um, well, I'm working on... Um, you're looking at your wife. 
because we were working on our second child. <laughs> films with my, my good friend John Burka, so we're, um, we're always working on content with that. I'm working with a lot of great groups. At the current time, I'm working with a lot of great um, improv and sketch groups. Uh, there's a show I directed that just opened called The Mighty Ted. It's about, uh, it's about Ted Waltmeyer. Dude had a stroke, then wrote a musical about his experience having a stroke, and he plays himself pre and post stroke. It's awesome. It's a full blown musical, and I'm really looking. I look forward to these um, these wonderful groups that have enough faith in me to say, I want I want you to direct us. I just there's a group called Sibling Rivalry. We just got back from Hawaii Woo! doing an improv festival. It's like it's crazy. And then um, I'm working hardest on my relationship with my wife every day. Give me some. Advice. <laughs> what do you, when you say you're working hard on it, what does that mean? You're it not playing zip zaps up. You're not doing warm up. Games. Oh, we do. Okay. My wife in the car will be like, "Let's play some warm up games." Right. And I'll be like, uh, "Okay." And sometimes I'll be like, uh. "But what does that mean?" Um, it, it can mean something for me as simple as um, not like checking myself before I say something or having to leave the room. You know, you just it's you're you're in a relationship, and you know this. I read once, it's like, you don't know what love is until you're like four or five years into a marriage. And I believe that. Because then it's like, when the stuff goes down, then you have that person. But it's a constant, it's a working relationship. And part of it is to make sure you don't appreciate someone too much. Like, take them for granted. And that's something that I'm constantly trying to work at. And for me, I internalize a lot of stuff. So I assume she knows what I'm thinking. And she doesn't. And so even saying something like this is work for me. Because I'm a person who's like, just leave me alone, I'll deal with my problems. And that's not healthy. So it's a constant, and that, but that's also my greatest reward. Do you guys go to couples? We go to couples therapy, and I find that really helpful. Uh, we have gone, and I, I think therapy is great for anyone. And sometimes therapy is talking to a friend, you know, but I think definitely it's like it definitely does help because you sometimes you need that third person to say, and for us, it's for me, it's like making sure I'm heard. I've got a big issue with I want to make sure I'm heard. And so I have, I have that. So that's really. Um, yeah, that's that's really helpful. I suggest to anybody. Are you in therapy now? No. Okay. That's Why do you laugh? Not Why me. do you laugh? Because I'm, like, I'm like, you should do it. Right, I'm not, not me. Yeah. Um, I heard it's really good. It's not really me. great, but yeah. I'm, I've, I'm a master, so. <laughs> no, I, 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 I need to. I think we all do, especially as artists, man. We're all emotions. Right. And the other thing that I find interesting that we can relate to is we both stopped drinking. We don't yes. drink anymore. How has that helped you? Uh, oh. How has that helped you in terms of your art? I would not be where I am without it. Without I stopped drinking and, and doing any sort of recreational activity for me, <laughs> um, because I at one point looked around and I was with people where I'm like I would never talk to these people. No offense against them, we had nothing in common. And you when would I, hang out at the bar, kind of people. Really, you seedy. know what the bar is. I would hang out behind the bar, like under a stairwell, with these people, and I would, and and I remember when I started drinking before a show, I was like, no, this is not, this is not good, because it cloud for me, it clouds my 
Judgment clouds everything. I thought it made me super creative. I'm gonna have some drinks and all good uh, writers and artists drink. And it's like, no, all it did was like, just like get in the way of my focus and get in the way of what I wanted to do. And everything, once, that, once I stopped, everything became more clear. And I would not be at Second City if I didn't stop. It just, it, and it helped relationships. Where was the bottom for you? Uh, I don't know if I really had a, like I know a lot of stories about hit the bottom. I, my bottom was more over an extended period of time of like I'm not happy. I'm filling this, I, I knew I was sad I had a hole and I was stuffing it, I, I didn't know what could fill it. And then I went to, uh, I went to a, a recovery meeting and the first two minutes I'm like, yep, I know it, this is exactly, like I had no qualms, I knew I had a problem. I wasn't like, I just knew the problem was I was sad. And I wasn't, I didn't like, I never liked drinking. I never liked doing anything else, but I was doing it to self-medicate, I guess. And then I was like, now where I am, I never could do it if I was still drinking. But that's me, that's, that's me. We gotta wrap this up. This no. has been so much fun. No! Yes. Let's stay, right guys? <laughs> you tell these folks that we are two-parter, 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 two-parter. All right, we'll, we'll have you back. Because th there was so much stuff we didn't even get to. Um, what, did, what, what piece of advice would you give somebody in improv starting out today? Um, I'm losing my place. You didn't prepare it in the car? Like, I'd be talking it uh, over Dude, I prepared like 18 answers, and I'm like, okay. uh, I mean... What I would say is, if my one piece of advice is to love more. Love what you're doing, love the people you're with. More importantly, love every single moment of what you're doing. Doesn't mean you have to like it, <laughs> but you gotta love it. You gotta love the people you're with. You know, we go back to what's the first two words you learn in improv? Yes and? Right, and for me it's like, <laughs> it always, anytime I have a question it's like, it always, it's always the answer. No matter what people say, it's always yes and. It's always the answer. So love the people you're with, love the time. If you need to take a break, take a break. It'll be there. But love what you do, love the people you're with. Look at them like artists and geniuses and poets in the audience as well. Well, we love this hour with you. Thank you so much, Jake. And there you have it. It's another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. And I want to thank our guest, Jay Succo. And I had such a blast improvising with him. It was so much fun. It was just, I was just, I was really having joy. And that is a testament to Jay, who is just filled with positivity. Uh, and as you know, I'm not. I am your Eeyore uh, podcaster. Uh, I want to thank our, uh, the good people at Stage 773 uh, for treating us like rock stars. This is our home base here in Chicago. Also, my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. Dan's the one who makes it sound so slick and so professional. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, I want to thank Dan. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning classes, The Artist Low Comedy, and our improv blog, go to jimmycorain.com and sign up. Every week, I will send you a new improv blog that will make you a better improviser and a better person. Well, the second part is up to you. We're also part of Feral Audio, feralaudio.com. They have some of the funniest and most original podcasts, so check it out. People like Dan Harmon and Chelsea Peretti and Steve Agee and Todd Berry, they're all on there. So go to Feral, feralaudio.com. 
We're also taking over social media. You probably figured this out. We've been doing it for years. Go to our Facebook page and like us. It really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us on Twitter. We're at improv underscore nerd. We love followers and groupies. Also, we have a YouTube channel, so go and subscribe to the Improv Nerd YouTube channel. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, We couldn't do this without you. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. (laughs) 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm a a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a (laughs) bat. I'm a bat bat that helps people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bat that helps people. I don't know what you want from me. And my my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My girlfriend's a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a bat. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my